Hello and welcome to the Startup Creative Podcast. I'm your host, Kayleen Langford, founder of Startup Creative, author of How to Start a Side Hustle and resident business coach, serving you straight up business advice to help you start, grow and scale the business of your dreams. Welcome to the podcast, Amy, uh, author, Amy. Author, Amy. Author, Amy. That's wild. <laughs> Business owner, legend. How are you? Nice to have you here. Thanks for having me. It's so weird being on the other side, actually, after all these years of listening to your pod. Yeah. Um, so I feel very privileged. <laughs> no, I love it. Congratulations on your new book, Mistakes and Other Lovers. How Thank cool you. is it to see your name on the front cover? That's what freaked me out the most. Like when the publisher sent me the cover design um, last year, it wasn't, it, I, it was such a weird thing. Like I felt a bit dead inside because mm. that was the thing that I was so freaked out about for such a long time because I didn't mm. know exactly what I wanted on the cover. I knew I didn't get a say, mm. but I was terrified that I would hate it. And so I think I built up all this anticipation. So when I actually opened the email, I just felt nothing. But all I could stare at was just my name mm. on the cover. And I was like, what the hell is this? It was really, it was really quite strange. Um, it still is. Like when I walk past a bookshop, I'll go for days at a time, not remembering that I even have a book on the shelf. And then I'll walk past a bookshop and see it in the window or something and just have this little moment of like, huh, <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> hey. Such so a weird. wild feeling, isn't it? Even now. Yeah. Do you, how long have you wanted to write a book, would you say? Oh, um, okay. So I'm 34. So I reckon maybe when I first held a book, like 30 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> held a book and was like. <laughs> Three years ago. Had, yeah. <laughs> 30 years ago when I had like conscious thought that this was a book in my mm. hand, I reckon. I remember from a really early age mm. realizing that that was a thing that you could do. Like it wasn't, I was such a reader but I think whenever whenever it flipped over in my brain that I, I could be a writer and not just a reader, mm-hmm. that would have been it for me. So long, long time. Yeah. yeah. Amazing. I actually had that same feeling of feeling really disassociated from my name and being like, that's not my name. And yes. I hated that. I was like, I don't know if I like my design when I first got yeah. it. Um, oh, that was me too. Yeah. But definitely had to get a second opinion. But it's funny because it's like this, having a name on a book was always such a big dream and goal. And then when you see it, it's this weird thing about like a dream and goal coming true. We're just talking about this and it's like, then all of a sudden it doesn't feel like such a big deal. I don't know. You're just like, oh, well, anyone can write a book. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know if you felt like that. It's, it's no, not exactly like that, but definitely the, the disassociation, like I really resonate with that. Mm -hmm. And I think that, um, I never thought that, you know, so I've, you know, wanted to write a book forever, but then specifically I started writing Mistakes and Other Lovers 11 years ago. So for 11 years I've been writing this book and going, yeah, I really hope to see this on shelves one day. And then the first weird thing that happened was when I was offered the book deal um, and I remember it, I remember it so clearly and I was at work like in the office and I saw a missed call from the publisher who I knew had read it recently, which is another story I'll get into. But 
I and then I sneakily listened to the voicemail and he was like, hey, Amy, just wanted to call and and chat. Um, feel free to call me back after hours. And it was maybe, I don't know, 3.30 or 4 something. I was like, yeah, 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 I can wait until 5 and call him back. And then obviously could do no work. I was just staring at the screen, reading nothing. So Thank I snuck you. out to my car. <laughs> it was raining, like pouring rain, and I was sitting there calling him back going, I hope this isn't like, this pouring rain isn't representative of the heartbreak I'm about to experience. And, um, you know, he just didn't, he just cut to the chase. He was like, I'm just calling to uh, offer you a two book deal. And I was just like, oh my God. Yeah. Okay. Thanks. And I had like, (laughs) let me think about it. (laughs) Hold on a second. Um, I had like 10 seconds of pure joy and elation. Mm. And then after that, it just sickening vulnerability and I was like, holy shit, this means that the book is going to be on shelves and people are going to read it. And that's the thing that I had wanted my whole life. And then suddenly knowing that it was about to come true felt like the worst thing in the world and I wanted to cancel everything. And I never, ever would have expected to feel that way. But I think that's just, I don't know, there's something about dreams coming true that that kind of messes with you a bit. Mm. And so that was the first experience of that. And then the second one was, you know, when the the book actually came out um, a month or so ago and and that whole week, you know, every single person. So I had three book launches in the one week, Melbourne, Sydney, Newcastle. Melbourne was like 120 people. Sydney was 80. Newcastle was 180. And so I spoke to so many people in that week and every single one of them was like, how do you feel? Do you feel amazing? And you're just like, yeah, you, you don't know what else to say. But I was like, do I feel amazing? Like, does this, do I does feel anything? <laughs> do I feel anything? Like, is this really what I thought, you know? And I was really battling with that during that week is I didn't feel bad, of course, but I don't think I felt that pure sense of kind of, you know, you just think you're going to be on the biggest high of your life. And it was incredible, but mm. it wasn't exactly what I expected and actually on reflection I think that's nicer like it just sort of felt normal Mm. (laughs) and maybe there's something in that like maybe that's just I was always meant to be doing this I've always wanted to be doing this and so this Mm. is just me living that dream and it doesn't have to be this kind of like fireworks type scenario it can just Mm. be like fuck yeah this is awesome yeah and anyway I'm just gonna go to bed and get up again and you know, like yeah, nothing so changed. I yeah. think it's such an interesting reflection, right? Because it's this, yeah, this dream that you have, and it's almost like you set this bar really high, and you know, you're going, you're leveling up to achieve it. But it almost takes a bit of time for your body to integrate, like the new standard, like the new, you know, perspective of the world through the lens of I'm a published author, and. Mm. I think, you know, if you're a grounded, wholesome person, which you are, it's your, you don't feel any different inside. And I think the other thing to it is like, you work your ass off to get yourself in a position to be offered a book deal that it's the natural next step. And you, I think we often think, you know, watching, you know, documentaries and biographies and all these, you know, big glamorous things and all all people sometimes tell their story in a way of like, and then this happened. And it's like, (laughs) wow, one day it's going to fall out of the sky and it's going to be this huge surprise when Mm -hmm. actually it's like, no, it was the natural progression. So here we are, you know. Yeah, you just articulated that 
Mm. in a perfect way that I've been trying to in my brain Mm. for the last month. So thank you. (laughs) No worries. I've had two years to try and process my book too, so I know the feeling. Um, (laughs) Hey, but congrats. I didn't know you had two book deals. That's exciting. Yeah, it is. So it's actually quite weird because um, the first one, obviously I I started writing it 11 years ago and I reckon I, I got to a point six or seven years into that where I started to to send it out so that's you know five or so years of sending it out to publishers and agents and getting rejections and all that um and now I've got a two book deal so the second book's coming out in 2025 which means I've got a year to write the second book and I so I spent 11 years on the first one and now one year on the second one Mm -hmm. and that's just like weirdly terrifying but also freeing to know that I've already got a contract for it so I'm hoping that will just help with the discipline. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I had about 30K down mm. before I before this book came out and I've just mm. given myself a, a writing break for a couple of months to focus on Mistakes yeah. from the Lovers. But, yeah, yeah. now in calm September, I'm mm. just going to be like, all right, second yeah. book time. Did you have the concept for the second book or did you, like, did you pitch mm. that in? Yes, so they asked yeah. me when... I had the first, so when I had the first chat with the publisher who was interested um, before he'd read it, he, oh, no, I think he'd read it and then wanted to have a little chat, you know, because they want to do a vibe check and, and all that stuff. And he asked me about the inspiration behind it and, and you know, all that. And then he said, oh, so are you working on anything else? And I knew from the past and from people telling me, yeah, even if you're not, you have to lie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and luckily I didn't have to lie because I actually you know, was working on something else at that point. And I, so I told him about it in a couple of sentences and then he put it in the pitch doc when he took it to um, the acquisitions meeting and tried to convince everyone else in the team to publish this book. And when he offered me the deal, he said that actually everyone was really excited about book number two in particular, like book number Mm -hmm. two, which wasn't written, but it was just like a paragraph of this is what I want to do. So um, that was kind of, yeah, that was kind of awesome mm. and unexpected too. Amazing. I love that. No, I think it's a really good tip of like, you know, saying yes and then figuring it out. So fake it till you make mm-hmm. it. But it's like, that's it. I actually heard on RuPaul recently where Ru gave advice <laughs> to one of the queens and he was like, you know, when when somebody, sometimes life gives you little like stage cues and it's like mm-hmm. if someone asks you a question like that, they're actually prompting you to to think bigger or to, you know, give an insight into what they would want and expect. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. so it's like leaning into that and like learning to catch those and act on them and yeah, fake it. Yeah. (laughs) I love that. And I feel like I came from a background as a ballerina. And so when I was growing up, we were told to fake it till you make it all the time. Like if someone says, Hey, can you step in and do this solo? Even if you don't know the solo, you say yes and then you just make it up mm. and they respect you for it. <laughs> so I think that's been just ingrained into me from mm. such a young age as well. And I, yeah, did the same thing and it paid off. So mm. yeah. I actually like, because this is a business podcast, I think it's really good advice to give to people. And I think, you know, that I, when Squarespace reached out to me recently about an event, they were just like, hey, do you want to have a conversation? And I was like, yes, like get it in the diary as soon as possible. I'm like, I'm available now. (laughs) And then Mm -hmm. um, I think it was the next day we had a chat and I sat down and did all, they were like, we're interested in working on something, you know, um, let's have a chat. So I wrote down, I came to the meeting with heaps of ideas and then 
as soon as we got off the call, I sent them like, you know, the thousands of words probably of like, here's exactly what I think we should do based off this conversation. And just having that like like acting on stuff too. I think a lot of people go, okay, cool. Well, you know, I'll take my time as well. Whereas if someone gives you this little prompt and this little door open, like also show up with an intention to like act on it as quick as possible and just get something that shows your commitment to it, I think. Mm. Yeah, mm. I'd agree. I have a, a, actually a story around that. Um, years ago, I was this novel, what was Mistakes and Other Lovers, is, was called something different back in the day. And it was shortlisted for the Kill Your Darlings Unpublished Manuscript Prize. I think it was like 2017 or something. And from that shortlisting, um, an agent reached out to me, super well-respected in Australia, and she was like, oh, I'm really keen to read it. So I sent it to her. We had this great phone call. She was like, it's not quite ready yet. Wrap up this storyline, some suggestions, so good. And then just, you know, send it back to me when you're ready, but take your time. Mm. And I took way too much time like Mm. I took a year to get back to her and it was like this black cloud hanging over my head for a year and I just couldn't stop thinking about I felt sick about it all the time I felt guilty but it was creatively stifling almost Mm. um it was a really weird year as well I think it was the year that Laura and I opened the bookshop like secret book stuff Mm. and it was just it was just a crazy year and by and I said to myself, I've got to send this back to the agent before Christmas and on the 24th of December I was sitting in the bookshop and I opened my laptop and I had just like, you know, edited as much as I could in a few weeks really and sent it back to her and she, you know, didn't take me on. And I think about that so much and I'm like, what was I doing? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Obviously it wasn't meant to be but, you know, by the time I sent it back to her, she was like, I still really like your writing and it's really great but, it's not quite working for me. So, um, you know, thanks, but no thanks. But maybe mm. if I'd taken three months, it mm. would still be fresh in her mind. Like, it, you know, she'd moved on, obviously, because that's what you've got yeah. to do. So, yeah. You and really it's, just and it's the vibe it. check too, right? It's like mm-hmm. you've, you know, they're looking also for the person that's going to deliver on time. And so mm-hmm. much about that communication is like your communication style is, it says so much about you as well, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's really good advice. Hey, I'm interested in this 11-year process because we were, I don't even know how long it's been, but um, you and Laura came for coaching years ago with Secret Book Staff. I think you had a bookshop in Newcastle and then you went online and I think you guys traveled for a bit and Mm -hmm. um, which we can definitely tell your story. I think there's from memory... When, and when that's why when I saw your book and I was so excited to read it straight away because I felt so emotionally connected to knowing that how bad you wanted it and to see it and hold it in a hand it was really like I was saying to my partner I was just like I'm just so proud I'm gonna sit down and read this she read my <laughs> book um so I never really make time for fiction but it's yeah. I loved it um thank you but it's there was I from it, you tell the story, obviously, because it's your story. But um, you were, I think you went away and you're like, no, I have to do this. Like, I just, mm. the, you, I feel like I remember having a coaching session and you were like, I want to do a coaching session with UK. Like, get help me. Like, I want to make this happen. Like, yeah, hold me accountable. And you kind of reach that point of being like, what do I have to do to immerse myself in this and make yeah. it, you know, get it over that edge? 
Yeah. Yeah, mm. you're right. It, you, you, interestingly, you now that I reflect on it, you've actually played a huge part in this book in in a, your own kind of way, not just from the coaching years ago with Laura and I in Secret Book Stuff, but, you know, yeah, as you said, we had a couple of coaching sessions where I was just like, I, I just need a shake up. Like I need to, I was about to give up. And that that's the honest truth is that I had reached the point where I thought, I don't know what to do with this beast of a thing anymore. I feel like I've reached the end of the road for myself and maybe I just need to come to terms with the fact that this might not ever happen for me and mm. just move on, you know. And I I, I really, that's when I really started to invest more in, you know, my career outside of writing, which is still related to writing, thank goodness, um, and secret book stuff because I was like, if if this is not in my path, like if this is not, the way that my life is meant to turn out, having a published book and being an author, then I need to make sure that I can fulfill my dreams in other ways, that I can feel satisfied and on purpose through my career and through other creative projects. And so I was sort of reaching that point, but I knew that I wasn't quite ready to let it go. Um, And I was filled with just, I think I remember emailing you (laughs) and terrified that I was going on this writing retreat. So I'd wanted a fellowship to go to the Varuna Writers House in the Blue Mountains um, based on the first 10,000 words of Mistakes and Other Lovers. And I, so I won the fellowship and I was going on this two-week thing and I remember just being sick and really down about it and I thought I'm going to get there and I'm not going to know what to do with that time. Like it's going to be too much time and space for me. It's going to freak me out creatively. Everyone else is going to be writing and I'm just going to be sitting around freaking out about my life and then we yeah and then we had that session and then I went on the retreat and I said um to them on the first day I'm actually going to start something new while I'm here even though I'd sort of got into this opportunity on mistakes and other lovers and they were like looking at me like oh, yeah okay cool see how you go and then on the second day of the retreat I had a, a one-on-one creative session with um Dr Carol Major she's sort of was part of the fellowship and I said to her as well, I'm actually starting something new. And she said, right, well, I've read the first 10,000 words of what is now Mistakes and Other Lovers, so let's just talk about that since we have an hour together. And she, people call her the book whisperer. She Mm. just asked these little questions that somehow pierced through my soul and made me look at the manuscript in new light. And so then the rest of the two weeks I completely rewrote the book from scratch like for years and years I had just been editing and tinkering and moving things around in a document but I started a whole new word doc which is terrifying (laughs) the blank page is terrifying and I printed off what I already had which was I think at that time about 65,000 words and I had that next to me and I just sort of performed an autopsy on it like I, I just started fresh I was like okay where does this story actually start? And then I just Mm. sat with it quietly um, and, you know, waited for it to come to me and then I just started writing and I never copied and pasted anything from the old version. I would sometimes like retype whole chunks of it, but that like exorcism, autopsy, whatever you want to call it, was really what gave me a new kind of energy to the book and felt I felt good about it again and then I came back and then we went into that huge 2021 lockdown I had another session with you Mm. and you were talking about your book which I think had just come out at that time and how Abigail Allman Mm. had helped you and she's like her book Hot Little Hands is one of my favorite books of all time Mm. I studied it for my PhD 
I had no idea that she did, you know, coaching and editing and manuscript assessments. And so you gave me her email. I reached out to her. She did an assessment for me for the whole book. And we had a couple of sessions together. And that, once again, just gave me a little Mm. bit more fresh life. And then finally, the last thing I did that year was apply for um, this other kind of mentorship opportunity where you would win a mentorship with an agent and with the publisher. And I came second. Mm. (laughs) And I was like, fuck this. Like I just keep getting so close, but they're not quite. And it's like it's great to come second, but it doesn't mean anything because I didn't get anything out of it really. But they did put my name up on the website as the runner-up. And from that I got a LinkedIn randomly DM from the guy, guy who is now my publisher, Alex Lloyd at Pan Macmillan. And he was like, hey, Amy, um, congratulations on the shortlisting. Um, would love to read your manuscript. Mm. And I thought it was spam because he didn't even say I'm a publisher. I had to like stalk him to figure out that mm. he was legit. And then so I sent it to him and he read it and he said, I'll take a couple of months to get back to you. And three days later he wrote me an email and said, I just devoured it. Can we chat on the phone? Wow. Then we had that chat on the phone where he was vibe checking me the week after he took it to acquisitions the week after that, he'd offered me a two-book deal. So it just, mm. it when it rains, it pours. Nothing happened for 11 years and yeah. I was like about to give up and then bam. <laughs> yeah, wow. That's such an incredible story and it's so cool to, like there's so much in there from like sticking at it for 11 years but then realising that, you know, when you're doing something creative, you do, you can't actually just do it. It's Creativity is not, in like a solo, you know, it's not a, yeah, a single sport. It's a team sport, right? Mm. It's this and having it like the ideas be like pollinated by other people. And I think we get so scared about that because we're like, what are they going to say? And Mm. I should, I don't know how you feel, but I'm like, I should know how to do this. I should have to Mm. fix this. And actually, you know, having creative input and allowing yourself to also, you know, not necessarily start from scratch, but start from a, you know, again, and that that's part of the process. So many people mm-hmm. like I think it's this kind of linear, you know, I've, and it's the same with businesses or anything that you're creating. It's like, it's not step by step and then you're going to get there. You know, it's actually, you know, this mess of a process that could unfold in, you know, two weeks and mm-hmm. completely change your life. But it's actually 11 years in the making of showing up and doing the work. Yeah. And it's so interesting because when my publisher introduced me at the um, Melbourne and Sydney book launches, he told the story of the LinkedIn DM, which has now become a kind of joke among us. And um, he said, he said something like, sometimes people think that when a book comes out, it's like an overnight success but you don't see what is below the surface. And I just Mm. think about that all the time. And I think, and that's why I've been really open about the fact, like with a lot of people I've said, this took me 11 years Mm -hmm. because I want people out there who are aspiring to these kind of dreams and goals to know that it doesn't just happen. Mm. (laughs) There's so much going on beneath the surface. There's me almost giving up over and over again. Mm -hmm. There's, There's a lot that happens and then suddenly it just, Like when the moment comes, it can flow in an incredible way. And then you sort of look back on it and when people say, oh, so what's your advice? I've just been like, keep going. And it feels like such lame advice because 
you know, I know that at some points in my writing journey, if someone said to me, just keep going, I'd be like, well, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's not helpful. But yeah. actually, it is the only thing that you can do is just to keep putting one foot in front mm. of the other. And as you say, like, you know, reach out for support and doesn't have to be a solo journey. And at many times, you know, I haven't shared the work in progress with very many people, but when I did, it was incredible. Like whether it was good or bad feedback, constructive, I should say, constructive, not bad, or good feedback, it either gives you the little ego boost you need to keep going when someone like Abigail is, you know, reading through it and saying, I love this and I love this and I love this. Like that's amazing. It feels really good and it gives you what you need to keep going. Mm. But then also sometimes you've reached the end of the road on your own and you mm-hmm. need somebody yeah. with fresh eyes to come in. And that is the point that I got to. I was like, I cannot do anything more with this book. Mm-hmm. I need someone else to zoom on in and see it in a different light to me because yeah. I've spent 11 years with these characters and <laughs> it's just a big mess in my brain. And so the editing, like the first big edit with the publisher, like the structural edit, that was so much fun mm-hmm. for me. Some people hate editing, but I loved it so much because it was someone able to see my vision Mm. and see what what needed to happen to make it work and then me just able to go in there and then just make it work like Mm. it was amazing I love that it's true because it's like when somebody edits too it's like oh and I I had that with Abigail as well where she's like I really love this part and so you can see what what people are resonating with where you can't yeah. see that from your own perspective, you you know, especially yeah. when you've been looking at it for long enough. Um, but, yeah, that outside perspective. The other thing I, I think, and this is what I love so much about the podcast and people's stories is because you can tell someone to keep going and to get in the game and to just start and all those things. But this is the living proof of it, right, mm. is like the keep going and keep showing up. What I also love about your story is that, you were working and running a business, you know, and, (laughs) you know, in a relationship trying to figure out where you guys were going to live and, Mm -hmm. you know, all like constantly just on this, like, you know, what's our, our life journey. And, um, but you showed up, like you kept showing up, like you put yourself out there for the, the writing retreats and the opportunities. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that's a really good sign to, example of where like when you're in the game even if you feel like you're just treading water but you're in in the water you don't know who's watching you know and you don't mm-hmm. know what opportunities are going to open you don't know that going to have that one-on-one at that um you know the blue mountains retreat is was going to shift it in that way and it's like you can't predict or know those things but you you have to take it one step at a time and you can only take the next step by having taken the step before, you know. Mm, Totally. It's so, it's so, so true. You just, and then like it feels, it feels a bit naff sometimes when you, Mm. you're in the published author seat and someone aspiring asks you, um, you know, like, so what's your advice? And you say, keep going. And, and I've said to people before, you know, when it happens for you, you will know. You will look back and see everything else that didn't happen and go, oh, okay, that's why that didn't happen. And it's so easy for you to say and to believe when you're on the other side. But I also resonate with the people who are still aspiring and struggling 
and they're going, yeah, that's all well and good, but I'm not there yet. So it's like, but it's a slog and you just have to accept that, I think. Like, and most people do, most people know that when you're trying to get something creative off the ground, you're trying to get a book published, it's, it's really hard. Like Mm. it it genuinely is. And many people won't ever do it. And that's really sad. And I thought I might be one of them. Yeah. And I sort of started to try and come to terms with that as well, as I said before, but, um, Mm. You know, I'm really glad that I kept yeah. going, obviously, because it led to here. Yeah, I think that's right. It's the because one of the, you know, the biggest things around what is makes someone successful is not necessarily their skill set or, you know, how much money or backing they have or, you know, or their privilege. It's it's the the grit to stay mm-hmm. the course and to believe in their goals so much that they'll keep showing up you know, even when it gets hard and it, maybe they'll, you know, have moments of of taking a break but coming back to it because they're not mm. willing to give up on it. And I think mm. that's like the biggest common denominator in successful people or people not even like what is success? It's like people who achieved a dream. Yeah. Mm. And that can be anything. It's, it's 100% tenacity and it's like mm. I knew that if I ever you know, we're on my deathbed mm. and I looked back and I hadn't, and I'd given up, mm-hmm. I would be devastated with myself. And mm. so I think sometimes it takes like projecting yourself into the future mm. and wondering like, what is it really that I feel like will light me up? And it's interesting because, you know, we also know in the, you know, spiritual mindset space that it's unhealthy to attach yourself to things and to goals and to mm. achievements, but also you need to have something to work towards. So Mm. it's not like it's, it's not great to just kind of be like, oh, well, my life's going to change when my book is finally published. And that's when I'll finally be happy. Mm. But at the same time, like you still, if you want something, you have to take those steps towards Mm. it. Um, And, and like be at peace with Mm. the journey of it, I think. And sometimes it's hard and sometimes it's easier. And I think a lot Mm. of it comes down to also just being, kind to yourself like that's one of the biggest things that I've had to learn over the years is I can really easily if Laura were here she would be laughing her head off because I'm like oh yeah I can really easily fall into workaholism mm. like I am a workaholic like, <laughs> through and through every day of my life I'm a workaholic but one of the biggest journeys for me has really been like pulling back and and giving myself space because I can't create if I'm not thinking if I don't have the space to think then I can't create something. And then I'll sit down at my laptop trying to write and wonder why it's not happening and get so angry and frustrated. It's like, oh, because, you know, I haven't breathed Mm. (laughs) this week. I haven't just stopped at all. Yeah, I had that exact experience this morning of being like on this kind of high adrenaline, like go, go, go from the event and then realizing I needed to meditate and journal and just because I'd kind of been sitting at my desk being like, what's next? And like creating from a place of like, I have to tick things off a to-do list. And then this morning I sat down and journaled and wrote a podcast and like recorded a podcast and just had all of these like and it just feel calmer and like clarity about what mm-hmm. to do next rather than just like rinse and repeat. And it's mm-hmm. it's allowed the space allows the true creativity of what you're meant to be expressing and and doing to come through. And it actually makes it easier to create because yeah, you're not exactly you're not forcing yeah. it. You're inspired. No. Mm-hmm. And that's one of the reasons, I guess, as well, why over the years I have 
I've worked a lot. Like I've, I've had full-time jobs and I've had freelancing on the side and I've also run a business. Like my life is really busy, but a lot of it is because, um, I had recognized years ago that I can't create when I'm financially insecure. Mm. And so there's, I kind of, you know, there's a purest school of thought to think that, you know, if you're writing a book or you're pursuing a creative dream or you've got a small business, then that's the only thing you should be doing. And you should be Mm. pouring your entire body, mind, soul into it. And I think that that is true Mm. sometimes or eventually, but for me, writing a book and, and and trying to achieve that dream, I cannot prioritize it. I cannot discipline myself to sit down and do something that is not making me money mm. if I'm stressed about money. Mm-hmm. And so that's why for me, like people think that I'm absolutely bonkers mm. for having having a full-time job and also freelancing and mm. also, you know, writing and editing and and running a business. But all of those things give me something mm. like I, I genuinely love all of the different jobs that I have. And yes, it means that I have limited time um, and I have to make sacrifices. But at the end of the day, that is what has seen me through and given me the discipline to to work mm. on the book um, and to get it done. So I think that that's, yeah, that's been a huge part of it for me. And I'm, you know, I'm moving into the next phase now where I'm about to finish up my full-time job and um, I'll be working part-time and and writing the next book and and that's that feels really good like that feels like that space that I need to move into the next phase which is creating from the ground up again with book two but I also know that like I couldn't do it if I wasn't more financially secure and it took me you know years to get to this point in my career where I can take that step back um yeah so yeah it's and important it's- and I think it's really important to do what, you know, like that's a sign of like, you know, your process and what your level of like, you know, risk or un- discomfort, uncomfortableness is. And I think, mm. yeah, we often be like, no, you have to go all in and stuff. And it's like some people can't function in that level mm. of risk and uncertainty, you know, and so mm. figuring out what's right for you and doing it in your way and then also um progressing the natural next progression into part-time work and part-time writing Mm -hmm. and not trying to kind of like you know want to do that before you're ready for it Mm. you know and I think that's really it's nice I think for people to hear that you know that it's not a overnight success of oh and now I'm set for life you know yeah yeah I got my first book published and I quit everything and now I'm a writer yeah (laughs) books don't make money (laughs) no exactly well I have actually a funny story to tell on that um it's a bit random but you'll you'll think it's funny um so when I was looking for venues for my Newcastle book launch which is really hard in Newcastle but that's a whole other story um I reached out to this uh, distillery where I, you know, have some friends who work there and it's a really cool space. And um, I was like, look, I, I need this to be a free event for all my friends and family. There's going to be like 200 people coming. So if they can all buy like food and drinks and stuff, and that would be the fee, like for you guys, that would be amazing. And he came back to me and he was like, yeah, yeah we can make something work. And so I'm just like crunching the numbers here. And we usually um, hire it out for, you know, this like 10 grand or whatever it is for a wedding. Um, and I'm looking at your book and it's $35. And if you sell like, you know, 150 of them, then that's like seven and a half K. So how about we do it for seven and a half K? And I was just like, oh, oh, you sweet angel boy. 
you don't know that I don't get any money for I don't get that $35 per book. Like I don't see a cent of that for a while, if, yeah. that, if at all, you know. Um, and it was just so, it was actually so wholesome to to realise that people who, because I've been in the industry for so long, yeah. I know how these things work, but someone on the other side, like they're looking at me, you know, going around all these book launches and selling all these books and they're thinking I'm fucking rolling in it. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and like you just, as you know, you're just not. Like that's yeah. that's not what traditional publishing is. So, mm. you know, and that's a sacrifice as well. If you want to go down the traditional publishing route, some people do self-publishing and that does mean that they can pocket a lot of it, but it also means you have to do all the work yourself. Yeah. You know, to get no. the marketing and publicity team and all that jazz. So it's true. And it's the the keeping up appearances or what people think perceive a published author as, you know, New York Times bestselling author, like, you know, <laughs> the handful of people who actually make a living <laughs> off writing. Exactly. But I think that's the beautiful thing about writing is there is this like untouched creative, like um aura I guess around it that's like you don't do it for the money you do it Mm. for the process and the documentation and like I've been reflecting a lot lately on words you know moving less off Instagram and more into like Substack and Mm -hmm. you know blog posts and things and it's like words have a resonance that can travel the world and that you repeat and that you know when they're in a book anyone someone can pick it up 50 100 years from now and go you know oh just grab this book off you know and and start reading it Mm -hmm. and yeah I had an experience the other day someone emailed me and was like oh I just saw your book in the Tate Museum (laughs) in London um (laughs) and I was like hang on wait let's I don't care what you say next like what (laughs) I didn't even know but you know the, the journey that they take and how they find people is so cool. It is cool, mm. yeah. Um, while we're on the um, what perceptions of people, if you feel like touching on it, because I know that, and then we'll get into the actual book. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I think, I mean, if you're comfortable sharing with it, like what was that book launch process like for you and, and you know, having obviously, you know, organising it and marketing it and, you know, getting in front of people, but then the reality of still having to show up for a job and everything Mm. else that's going on in your life. And yeah, how was it? Yeah, it was wild. I think the the few months leading up to the launch week were the hardest because I was I was so pumped at work and I had so much going on behind the scenes as well. And then that's when most of the publicity is starting. So that's when I was doing a lot of podcast interviews and, um, you know, when I did the big book copia signing and like, it, I just hadn't, I just didn't know how much would be expected of me leading up to the launch. I kind of just was focused on the launch and, and, and traveling around for that and seeing the book on the shelves and all that stuff. But actually like the behind the scenes leading up to was, yeah, pretty huge, and then it came to launch week and I had, you know, Melbourne, Sydney, Newcastle all sold out in within four days, those three events. And I was just completely running on adrenaline that week. Like I didn't really sleep. Um, I was, as I was saying to you before, uh, off air, I was experiencing these hectic endometriosis flare-ups to the point where I'd be like hunched over in pain half an hour before showing up to the venue and then having to speak in front of 200 people. And um, you wouldn't know because I was running on adrenaline. And Mm. so it was really fun. But I had like, you know, hundreds of people coming up to me all week being like, 
oh my god how exciting you must feel amazing like and it's it is so strange to you know I kept questioning myself am I appreciating this enough like am I grateful enough am I joyful enough in this moment am I present enough in this am I going to remember this like really putting this pressure on me myself to be like this is what you wanted and now you have it don't let it pass you by and like the pressure was creating that out-of-body kind of experience instead Mm -hmm. of just kind of soaking it up and so I had to sort of keep checking in with myself and remind myself of that and um and just try and just flow with it Mm. and and it felt and then when I realized that I didn't feel on top of it world I was okay with it because I realized that that was just normal that this is my life now I'm a published author and I will be forever now and all things going well I'm going to keep writing and publishing books and this is going to be my life and that's amazing and it's Mm. going to be ups and downs because it's up when you know, like you're, you're giving a lot. And my true introversion really showed itself during that week too. Like I am an extroverted introvert. So I get my energy from myself and I really need to rejuvenate myself on my own, but I have no problem being in front of a crowd. And I really wanted to give everyone the time. So the long signing lines and everything, I would talk to, I kept getting in trouble for taking too long because I wanted to talk to every single person and look them in the eye and give them a piece of myself. And then by the end of the week, I was just an absolute mess. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I was so exhausted because I'd just given and given and given. Um, and I think that's really interesting as well to, to reflect on for the future. It's like how how much of myself do I give? how much do I hold back? Like, how do I protect myself and and be careful with my energy levels and all that? So I got really sick the following week, but I remember driving into the car park at work on the Monday following. I just had this huge week, like flying around like this fancy author. And then I just drove into the car park and went and sat down at my desk. And I kind of thought that maybe I would feel a bit shit about that, Mm. but I actually felt huge sense of relief you know my whole body relaxed when I sat down at my desk and I was like yeah okay Mm. and now like normal life again but normal Mm. life also means having a book on the shelves and that's Mm. really cool and that's why I can go for days without even remembering it um Mm. but then I'll get like a lovely message or someone will tag me in something or I'll like look behind me and see them on my own shelf and it's Mm. (laughs) yeah it's such a strange experience but um you know amazing too I mean, I think it's a, a beautiful example of life's ebbs and flows and, you know, yeah, like life doesn't change instantly because a, job, a, a dream came true, you know. It's like yeah. it's, yeah, we're human at the end of the day and we have to get up the next day and go to work and, you know, we have big highs and big lows and I think especially part of the creative journey is that, yeah, you can't, nothing in life sustains that you know perfect high like it's Mm. you you burn out you know adrenaline it's like if every if every day was perfect and sunny then you know the world would be cooked you know yeah yeah all these things that reminder of life you know flows in and out and um but yeah good for I think people to realize that because it's and it's hard work too, you know just because Mm. you've got this thing it doesn't mean you're still not working hard to show up for it (laughs) Yeah, mm. true. Mm. And it just hey, keeps going. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, but let's jump into after an hour of not talking about the book. Actually, <laughs> oh I mean, we have been. Um, <laughs> the book. So do you want to give us your synopsis of it? But um, well done. I really liked how you talked about Australian, uh, would you say like early 20s, 
teens years in a way that wasn't cringe and that was like also just like I never really read fiction books so nice to like really tap me out of reality which has been really fun (laughs) also having recently been to Newcastle like you know being able to picture it and that surf coast town um but also the one of my favorites so many like 90s early 2000 references that like <laughs> took me back to like sticky band room floors like at a, <laughs> you know the local pub and um the outfits and yeah all of those things working at a coffee shop on a saturday morning like mm-hmm. yeah well done loved it thank you i was it's there good to know it wasn't cringe <laughs> It wasn't cringe at all. Like I, I barely watch reality, like Australian television, because I'm just like, oh, like this is. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, really well done and took me right back. Thank you. Mm. Um, yeah, so I get the the little elevated pitches that Mistakes and Other Lovers is a a story that explores that messy space between adolescence and adulthood. So mm. we follow uh, the journey of our main character, Elle, who's in her early 20s. She's just kind of put a bomb under her life and broken up with her high school boyfriend who was then her fiancé and she's having an affair very secretly and toxically with um, the youth pastor of the local evangelical church, which is sort of based on the Hillsong movement. Um, the book is unofficially but in my mind and probably recognizably so for many people set around like the early 2010s like 2012 13 14 Mm. which is when Hillsong was really rising and Instagram was really rising alongside it and um it was like pre me too movement uh so we didn't have a lot of the kind of vocabulary and understanding around lots of different issues with toxic masculinity and sexual assault and things like that that we do now um and also pre-Royal Commission into Institutionalised Child Sex Abuse um, that has kind of brought down the Hillsong Church as well in recent years. So I sort of, yeah, I was, I really wanted to set it in that pocket of time to capture a bit of nostalgia um, for, I guess, people like you and I, like the <laughs> ones who recognise the references and and lived those kind of lives. Um in our early 20s, but also hopefully connect to people who are currently in their early 20s and experiencing that same kind of messiness where you just like you're you're moving into adulthood but you still don't really know what you're doing and you're feeling like the weight of responsibility on your shoulders and the weight of expectation but still kind of like tethered to those more adolescent things like parental expectation and all that kind of stuff as well. So yeah, those yeah. were the two main things I wanted to explore was like that early 20s coming of age, coming of awareness type um, time period and then the uh, hypocrisy and um, kind of salacious and sinister nature of the evangelical religion. Mm. Uh, it's as it could be a whole second podcast because it's so interesting. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, it just opened up a new like perspective for me that I definitely like knew it's just you saying that I was like, oh, well, I didn't like, yeah, the political intention to it where I was like, oh, it was just so normal. But it's so mm. interesting to think about because that was my story. And I don't know whether I've heard your story, which I'm open to if you want to share it. But <laughs> um, yeah, at that 20s time, that's when I was fell into a very evangelical Catholic version. Um 
and ended up volunteering two years of my life for the church and became a chaplain because it's that, and I think that's the angst also that the book sometimes after a few chapters, um, it's also very horny book. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But there's pent up obviously, but, um, you know, there's, um, the, uh, what was I saying? Like flashback to um, the angst of, trying to figure out who you are and what you believe in. And I was like caught between, you know, professional athlete, stoners or the church, you know, and I was kind of like burnt out from running. Stoners didn't make sense to me. And then I was like, oh, well, church is my other option from, you know, in a small town. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I love your story. Um, It really does. Yeah, it's very similar to Elle's in a way because there is the the theme of sexuality that comes through as well. Like she, um, while she is having, she's just broken up a relationship with a uh, a guy and she is having an affair with a youth pastor, a man. Um, she is just openly queer. And mm. I think at a time when they weren't super, like the, the whole idea of nebulous queerness wasn't really a thing yet. It was like people still wanted to kind of box you in. And so there are conversations that Elle has in the book with some of her friends or new friends or um, lovers where they don't really understand her. Mm. Um, And so that that was really fun to explore as well and how I have definitely felt throughout my life. Um, So I, in my early 20s, fell into a a friendship group for a little while where a lot of them were... um, kind of born again Christian and went to these evangelical churches and brought me along a few times and kind of dipped my toe in the water a little bit and found it really fascinating um as a as a world and mm. but also and kind of like craved belonging but also knew that I never would and I think there were so many elements to that it was just that I couldn't stop questioning what was going on because I you know so one story that really inspired the writing of the book was in 2012. I was visiting a friend over in New York City and she took me to a Hillsong service where the now disgraced um, Pastor Carl Lentz, who's most famous for being besties with Justin Bieber, uh, was preaching. And I was just so blown away by this like super attractive dude, young, like hot, everyone's musically talented, everyone's so lovely, like we are family, so welcome here, all that stuff. But then we're up there in in the crowd and she's telling me all this church goss, you know, so she's pointing out people in the crowd and saying that's where the inner circle sit who are friends with Carl and and his wife Laura and and then that person used to sit with them but now sits over there because they were having an affair with this person and just like this juicy as fuck church goss. But they're up there on the stage like preaching, you know, purity essentially and I just found the whole thing so so like sinister um but also kind of seductive you know like Mm. I was seduced by it too and I you know dated a few people who went to church who tried to keep me a secret because I wasn't in the church and so then I'd consider whether I should you know like throw my hands up to the Lord so that we could (laughs) date in public like it's just Mm. yeah it was a really weird messy time um and so I just, at the time I was in it, I remember thinking at the time, I, I really want to try and capture some of this in a story one day because I just find it really fascinating. And, um, yeah, so that's what I that's what I did. That was one of my big intentions was just to yeah. 
And it was interesting because when I got the book deal, I started to freak out a little bit that people would be really offended um, or would think that I was just making up all this stuff to make the church look bad. Mm. But what's happened in the last 18 months has been so validating for me because there have just been documentary after documentary coming out about Hillsong and, you know, Brian Houston, the founder, the leader, then, you know, stepped down not long before I signed the book deal. I think like the week before I signed the book deal um, for, you know, covering up his father's abuse of children and mm. and then all of the Carl Lentz stuff happened where he, you know, revealed that he was having an affair and so he was sort of kicked out of the church and, like, all of this has happened and I actually ended up sitting down with a few people who um, are still in the church or have left the church, particularly people who have left the church because they've come out. And the stories that they told me were so much worse than anything that I ever put in Mistakes and Other Lovers. And while that's awful for them, it just made me feel so much better. And it's not like I wanted to tear down an institution. I just wanted to, like, you know, explore something that has a lot of power in a young person's life through the eyes of a character named Elle who is, like, you know, a little bit in and a little bit out and unsure of herself and and um, wants to belong but can't quite connect with the ideas yeah. behind it. So, mm. yeah. I love that. I mean, it, of, of my obsession, which I just talk about to everyone lately, and they're like, okay, Kayleen, enough, um, is <laughs> Sinead kind of passing away and mm. how much grief that has, you know, been. But it's the, you know, in 1992, she, you know, tore out the picture of the Pope and was like, yeah. there's shit going down, you need to look into it. And everyone mm-hmm. was like, no, you're crazy. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, I think that's the beautiful thing about art is and creativity is you can, to base it, and I think this is something I'm so passionate about is people being like, I want to start a business and, like, how, how do I get more followers on Instagram? And, like, you know, these things are just like, oh, you can write something that has meaning and purpose and is a, something that you want to explore and, you know, has a, yeah, a, a a broad, yeah, something that's based in in meaning really like mm. and is inspired rather than I want to publish a book you know what do you what should I write about or like how do I write yeah. this many words and yeah, yeah you've got to care that. about it and invest mm. in it yourself and yeah and that's like what you said about Sinead O'Connor and like trying to shine a light when or people have tried to shine a light on these kind of things mm. in the past they have been shut down pretty massively and that's why I really felt strongly about setting the story Mm. before that was really coming to light legally at least because Mm. I just feel like if Elle was in her 20s now Mm. I just don't think that she would have been as seduced by Mm. the church culture and by faith um, because she would have been seeing what's happening all around her and also you know with some of the things that happens between her and the people who she's hanging out with and and dating Mm she would probably have uh, a vocabulary and maybe even a bit more strength around her convictions than mm. than she does at that time in her life where I set the book. You know, I think that maybe it's a bit Pollyanna of me, but I feel like young women these days, uh, you know, just have a lot more awareness mm. of the kind of shit that they're put through. Mm. <laughs> yeah. And it's, so, yeah. You, you have to write, you write about it in hindsight, right? But there's also this, you know, my Instagram <laughs> bandwagon of, you know, when everyone jumped onto the threads, you know, thing, mm. and it was just like, oh, quick, get the threads now. 
And it was like, hang on, why? Like, let's stop and mm-hmm. question because it's like I look back on the that church era and be like, how many yeah people in their early 20s who are going, what do I do next? I've just left school. The only path that's really been available to me is, you know, an apprenticeship or a university degree. You know, mm-hmm. then there's this church that sells, you know, high school extended, you know, yeah. a little microcosm yeah. of detached from reality, um, which is a safe space. You don't actually have to go out into the world and fail and figure out who you are and do all these things because mm-hmm. you're so enclosed. But it's, you know, I also see that, you know, I'm like, oh, cool. You know, it's like when you learn the lessons, they go, oh, yeah, in hindsight. But it's like, well, what's, what what should we be on the lookout for next, you know? And maybe mm. that is the the big social media algorithms that are going, hey, we're, we're going to tell you what you like. We're going to tell you what you believe. We're going to tell you, you know, what your worldview is and all of these things yeah. because we're going to program it based on what you're interacting with. And so we narrow it down and keep you in an echo chamber and you get really angry about anyone who doesn't agree with you. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. how is that? It's what the church does. Yeah, it's so sinister. You're so right. Like the church is an algorithm. Yeah. <laughs> no, but seriously, like I think that that's what I really hope that people take from Elle's journey as well is just to just to like take a breath and, and mm-hmm. ask questions. And I and I really have to thank for me in my own personal situation Um you know, I feel like I could have really easily slipped deep into that world um, when I was in my early 20s. But one of the reasons I don't think I could was because my dad is a theologian, like a professor of theology. And so from a really young age in our house, we had very open conversations about religion and faith around the world. Like Mm. he was constantly traveling as an academic and would bring back these incredible stories from the far reaches of the globe about you know, what they believe in and their traditions and customs. And and he always encouraged us to be curious and to ask questions. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we used mm-hmm. to go to church on Christmas and, and Easter and as a little family. And then every time we were in Queensland visiting my grandparents, we would go to mass like every day mm-hmm. with them. So I've seen a lot around. And then when I came to this point in my early 20s, I just don't think that I could have, yeah, fallen really hard because I mm. just asked too many questions because mm. he taught us to do that. And I think that's so, I think it's a really healthy mindset, not to mm. say that like throwing yourself into something is a negative thing, but I just think we all need to be really careful because yeah. we can so easily be swept along with the tide of what our best friend or our, mm. our new partner or, you know, our boss or the leader at the church or whoever is, is tell, like what they're mm. telling us, but we yeah. need to think for ourselves too. Yeah. I love that. I was sharing this the other day. It's like if you the, that's actually going to be the one thing that sets us aside from AI and can, and all the fear of computers and technology is that the human brain thinking and having critical mm-hmm. thinking and emotion and relationships and conversations that aren't you know <clears throat> scripted is what mm-hmm. makes is is what's going to be able to determine you from. I actually joked with my girlfriend the other day and said. I'm so glad I was listening to a Janelle Monet interview and she was like right into this. And she always like, I texted my girlfriend and was like, I'm so glad I met you before we can't distinguish between robots and humans. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a future it's, thing. Yeah. It's like preach though. Like honestly, yeah. we, you know, our human thought and feelings, what we've got, we need yeah. to hold on to it. Yeah. 
Hey, we could go on and on, but um, we'll save that for yeah. a dinner date that we're due to have <laughs> very soon. Yeah. Um, but before we head, and thank you for all of your amazing advice and wisdom and insights and huge congratulations. What thank is you. your number one tip uh, for somebody out there going, I wish I could have my name on the front of a book or I'm ready to give up or one day mm-hmm. keep going? <laughs> My boring advice is keep going. Um, My less boring, hopefully more helpful advice is um, to put yourself out there for opportunities even if you don't think that they will lead to the exact thing that you want. But one of the biggest things is just like meeting people, putting yourself in situations. Like I look back at an internship that I did at a child parenting magazine years and years ago. And I'm like, you know what? That led me to here. Like it, Jen, mm. every single thing that I have done that is even slightly related to writing, having my name on things, like the first article that I wrote with my name on it was about like, you know, vitamin B and baby brain or something <laughs> ridiculous like that, like nothing to do with anything. But having that name, in that magazine meant that I could then put that on my resume. I could then put it on my website. I could, you know, like every little bit counts. And so try not to be a purist about not putting yourself out there until you're ready or not putting yourself out there for only the kind of opportunities that you think are going to lead to this exact thing. Open the door, like open all the doors and you will be surprised by where it all leads. And you just have to trust the journey. Great advice. Thank you so much. And one final question. Are you watching the Matildas tonight? Of course. I'm going to the pub in Stanmore with my brother and his housemates. And I cannot wait. It'll be so fun. (laughs) Um, Well, lovely to have you here. And yeah, congratulations. Looking forward to seeing the next book. Thank you so much. Great to chat.